0: Welcome to the Metis Podcast. Today we have Kevin Amosch with Pine Financial. Thank you for coming on. Ah, uh, Nick, I'm so glad to be here.
1: You got my name right. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, not everyone well, gets that
1: right. So I'm I'm just I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Uh, it folds full uh, transparency here. I was coached ahead of time uh, on how to do it. So yeah. thank you for the. Uh, You're not supposed to say that. Uh, you know, thank you for the time today. You are in the private lending space, That's right. and that has got to be quite interesting. Uh, here we are in the uh, the the early months of 2023. Actually, this is just in the beginning of April. And today, I'm sure your business looks a lot lot different than it did a year ago, or or maybe it doesn't. And can you talk about, you know, how is the the private hard money, you know, space evolving, or uh, is it is it kind of being used even more now that people are are you know uh, unable to get credit as easy? And uh, can you kind you know kind of give us what's yeah. coming in the future?
1: Nick, that's such a fascinating question. So I I started Pine Financial 15 years ago, so I need to go back to that briefly so we can get some context around this answer. Um, But back then, this is right when like the SAFE Act was coming out and all the regulation coming out of 2008. um, So it was very difficult to get financing. And so you saw more and more private lenders entering into the market to supplement and and to help real estate investors do their transactions. So that's kind of when it started getting popular. But it was literally the Wild West, like anything goes, there were no regulation. Um, all the money that was going into these notes was just from private individuals. It's still a lot like that today, which we could talk about. But a lot of private lenders also have some institutional backing. So you see insurance companies enter the space and hedge funds and bigger banks with lines of credit, and there's aggregation and, and uh, packaging loans and selling them off into Wall Street. So now it's it's very much more an industry now than it than it has been. And now you're starting to see recently, so your question was in the last year or two, um, you've been seeing in the last year or two, it kind of going back to the good old days when I was getting started. And the reason for that is rising interest rates, lower appetite by institutional investors and banks. Um, So the ones that are surviving and doing well, thriving right now are the private money lenders that have a, a big balance sheet, lots of private money, mortgage funds, where they're not relying on institutional investors, so that's kind of the direction we've seen it going over the last year or so.
0: Okay, so if you're not using the institutions, maybe there's not so much. Uh, I guess those guys are really strict on timing and what you're going to be doing, and they put you kind of in a square box, and there's no totally. that creativity. That that's right. You're gonna you're gonna fit our program or, or not? I guess your type, and I'm assuming that this is a balance sheet that's created by investors that you have put together. Is that correct?
1: yeah, so my structure, we we started our first mortgage fund in two thousand and nine. So that was about a year after we started the company and and I started that fund because of the feedback I was getting. Private investors don't want all of their money in one individual loan. It's not enough diversification. It's not liquid, right? because you the private money the private note or private loan space isn't a liquid market. I mean, there's no, there's no market like the stock market where I could just trade notes, right? So I have to go find my own buyer, and then I have to discount the note in order to get that sold. So they wanted liquidity, they wanted diversification, and they wanted a smaller investment amount. So we started the first fund in 2009, and now we have four four mortgage funds. So when I say balance sheet, it's really encompassing all of those funds, and we have individual note buyers that prefer the individual stuff. Um, so we'll sell off notes to them Uh on an as-needed basis, I guess. If we need to free up some liquidity, we'll sell off individual notes. Um, okay, so that's, that's kind of how we're
0: structured. You see, have four funds, and they're all evergreen. Yes. Okay, and then they're uh, what? What state did you create those in?
1: So everything's in Colorado. Uh, okay. So we're we're based right out of Denver. Uh, we loan in different markets, which we could talk about, but yeah, we're we're headquartered in, in near
0: Denver. Okay, and the majority of uh, your businesses is, is in Colorado or kind of all over the country
1: you know, we are really focused on Colorado and in Minnesota. Um, I know you're in D.C. We do some in D.C. and then in Wisconsin, but we're really restricted to those four states. Mm-hmm. Um, to be safe with the money, you really have to have boots on the ground looking at the properties, people that you trust. So it's it's difficult. This is a difficult business to expand geographically unless sure. you're just not worried about protecting the money.
0: Okay. So just just as a quick background, the the typical loan that you're doing is a um, a real estate investor who's purchasing, let's say, a, a house or maybe a small apartment building, and they're going to do some renovations, fix it up, rent it out, stabilize it, and take it to a permanent lender. Is that is that kind of the space that you're filling?
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you, the way you describe that um, is more on the commercial side. So we have about 80% to 20%, 80% resi, 20% commercial. Okay. On the commercial side, almost all of our takeouts is a refinance. So it's a bridge loan. It's a value add loan. Um, we're basing our loan on the stabilized value. All of that's true. On the residential side, most of our clients are flipping out of it. So there's no takeout lender. They're they're fixing the property up or building it and they're selling it to an end user.
0: Okay. So they are basically just a construction note or something similar to that. Um, and I, think- I guess, why would... An investor want to use your group instead of a uh, maybe a conventional bank or a local bank who can give you the flexibility, uh, who can actually structure a construction loan on some local residential properties and might be in the, you know, today maybe in the six to seven percent interest, you know, uh, range. Or is this because they need speed? Because you are trading off speed for, for cost. You know, kind of what is the the value that that you're able to, you know, to bring to the uh, to the investors.
1: Yeah, Nick, and I get this question a lot. We teach a lot of classes on on hard money and how to use that as a tool in the tool belt for real estate investors. And this question comes up all the time. And it was interesting you said the bank and flexible flexibility. You don't typically hear those two in the same sentence because banks just aren't flexible, right? We we talked about that earlier. It's 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 a box, and and that's no different from. Um, loaning to lenders or loaning to real estate investors, there's still a box you have to fit into. And and private money notes and private money lenders, they have that flexibility. It really is true common sense underwriting. So some of the reasons people would use a hard money lender and pay these really high interest rates, leverage is the biggest one. Like if if you're not putting money into a deal or you're putting little money into a deal, you have more money in your pocket, cash is king. That creates some security for you, your liquidity, your reserves, those things are important in business. Uh, but not only that, if you have another deal that comes across your desk and you've put all your money into you know, one deal because you had big down payment requirements and all these other things, you're limited. You might not be able to do that one that comes across your desk. So this is a good way to supplement other types of financing. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a real estate investor's number one go-to. I have to go borrow hard money. But it. Some do, but it is a great way to supplement and a way to scale the business. Um, sure. There's more ways. You mentioned speed. Speed, absolutely. Um, ease of the draw process. Banks are slow in the draw process. And, and if you're doing a twenty dollars or $30,000 flip, you need that money to go quick because you're going to be out of that. You're going to be out of that project in four weeks. I mean, it might take four weeks to get the money on the first draw with a bank. So it, it's, it's just ease, flexibility, um, service, local experts, all of those things.
0: Okay. So- On the residential side, if somebody comes to you, they're going to get a loan in the neighborhood of what loan to cost uh, or maybe even what loan to value. And what is it going to cost on on a typical range for interest and points going in route?
1: Yeah, it it varies a little bit depending on the market. It's all supply and demand, right? Uh, But to give you an idea, you're between two and four points in origination. A point is a percent in the loan amount and a lender fee. So $100,000 loan, two points would be $2,000 fee. Um, And then the interest rates, 12 to 13%. Okay. Now, as far as the leverage, you said loan to cost. So loan to cost, depending on the loan product, we have a couple of different products, but our flagship, the one that really got us going, we didn't have a loan to cost ratio. So we would literally loan 100% of the project, but we would cap it at 70% of the completed value. And then we're going to do the construction draws and the inspections to make sure you actually hit that value. So we're okay. at seventy percent or less of the value.
0: And as a part of that closing process, I mean to be trading off that kind of those kind of points up front, typically you're going to be getting um, you know you're going to be getting no prepayment penalty. Right. Um, is this a full recourse, or is it non-recourse?
1: Yeah, we're doing it especially now in this environment. I know you want to talk a little bit about the environment, but right now we're doing everything recourse.
0: Okay, so you have full recourse to the personal person who owns the company or who's doing the flip. Uh, what kind of background checks are you doing on those individuals? Are you checking their liquidity? Are you checking their jobs? Um, you know, a lot of times real estate investors are very, uh, maybe they're they're not cash rich, um, they're yeah. just asset rich. Uh, right, you know yeah. what what's checking the box uh, for the people that you're working with?
1: It's so funny how you say that because you know I, when a good friend of mine used to always say you can't buy beer with equity. So, mm-hmm. but it's true, right? And That's... and you get these real estate investors that come with these big balance sheets and no money. Um, so I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Uh, we we get a full package. So we're looking at bank statements. We're looking at tax returns. We pull the tri-merge credit report. I want to see all three of the credit bureaus and, and how you handle and manage your money. So it's not like the back when hard money was getting started where you fog up and, you know, breathe on a mirror. And if it fogs up, you're you, you're approved. Like you actually have to approve be approved for the loan. Um, much different Uh, As far as our qualifying factors, what we care about most is a profitable transaction and some liquidity. Look, I say it all the time, banks, or not banks, businesses can go out of business even if they're profitable because it's all about cash flow. And real estate is a perfect example of that. You have a payment goes out every month to your bank for the loan on, on the property. You talked about the property that you're working on right now. I'm, I'm sure there's some type of bank financing in place there or conventional financing. Every month you make that, that payment, Nick, some of that goes to principal, some of it goes to interest. Well, that principal portion, that's not an expense. So that shows up as profit on your books. Yeah, it's money out of your pocket every month, right? So that's, that's why cash reserves are so important um, to, to stay safe.
0: cash and you know is king in so many different ways it's for speed it's for uh you're going to get different access to the banks they're going to they're going to you know give you different products that aren't available to other folks and this is all relative to what what level each person is at whether they're at kind of the beginning stages it's probably a local bank who's going to you'll be able to get some better relationship quicker uh then you know kind of work your way up into some of these uh bigger groups that are out there that are you know Getting and commanding attention from some of the largest banks out there, and uh, you know, I, th- I think everybody has their their place in the market. And uh, you know, certainly, like you said, there is a there is a reason and a tool, uh, you know, to using this uh, type of structure on on the uh, kind of the on the operation side. Right. But on the investor side, I suppose that you're now, uh, you know, your funds are uh, they've been in, been in business now for almost what fifteen. Uh, 15 years. Okay. So all of them are all, all of them started in 2009 or that some of them. No.
1: So each time the way this works is you start the first fund and then you learn a little bit. So you make your changes (laughs) and then you do the next fund. And so there's partly just learning as you go in part, there's restrictions. Now we're talking about securities here and you have the sec involved in all these regulation and all these regulators. And once you hit certain thresholds, they, they stop you from raising money. So the best way around that is just start a new one. that's,
0: That's why. So you, bring in high net worth individuals, likely accredited folks? Uh, so
1: our most recent funding is a Reg A. So okay. for, for the listeners, I know you said there's some sophistication in the listener uh, base here. Uh, but for those of you maybe don't quite understand, a Reg A is actually a public fund. So very different than the Reg Ds where a lot of syndicators are using. Uh, this is something I could actually advertise and I don't have a restriction on accredited versus non-accredited.
0: So you're able to bring in uh, I guess anybody who's who's looking to potentially uh, make these type of returns then, and you're advertising it out to folks who obviously have a little bit of money that they want to lend, right. What what's the minimum Sorry. amount that you're accepting? We're, we're all the way down to 10,000. Trying okay, to make so it you, available for everybody. Yeah. Okay. That's really, I mean, that, bringing it on, you know, bringing people into uh, different types of, um, you know, investments, I think is really important because it doesn't just have to be uh, you know, kind of kind of Wall Street and, and your right. typical stock, por- stock portfolio. Okay. So somebody comes to you with, let, let's say it's $100,000. They're going to get what type of uh, return on that? How is it going to be paid? And when can you get all of your capital back?
1: Yeah. So this is what's so beautiful about the way this is structured. So it's very consistent. This will bring consistency to a portfolio. It's a flat 8% rate. So there's zero variance in that. You will get 8%. It's Annual, but we pay out every single month. Um, as far as getting your money back, it's liquid. We don't have any lockup periods. So we have no fees. So if you want your money back, there could be a delay because we don't just have cash sitting there. We put the money out into loans, right? Uh, secured by real estate. So if if you request your money back and um, and we have all of our money loaned out, it might take us a few payoffs, loan payoffs, to come in before we can return that to you. So just to be full tra- full transparency here. There could be a delay, but there's no lockup period or fees to request your money back.
0: Okay. Um, we so also have,
1: I was just going to say, we also have a, a chance to reinvest the money. So you know the compound interest, uh, the eighth wonder of the world, they say, um, is available in something like this.
0: Okay, so I give you $100,000 provided everything goes well. I'm sure you can't guarantee the 8%, right. but let's say everything goes well and I'm sure it's been going well for a while. On a typical year, everything's smooth eight percent standard investment. Is there any increase uh, potential? Like if if the fund does really, really well, or is it just straight eight percent? And if you guys run it really well or really poorly, it doesn't matter. I still get my eight percent.
1: Yeah, it's the latter. Okay. Um, see that. And, and people that are looking for the upside, um, they would invest in something like what you're, you're doing, right? Because then you own a piece. I don't know how we didn't talk about this. I don't know how you're structured, but my guess is they own a piece of the equity. And so they participate in the ups or downs. So if you're really confident in the sponsorship and you're really confident in the operator and you're confident in all of the, the market and all of those things, invest in something like that because you have a bigger upside. If you're looking for a straight consistency, something you can count on, that's when you might go on the debt side, which is a mortgage fund. Now, this is a little safer because debt gets paid before equity. So that's, that's why you're going to give up a little bit on the return there.
0: I'm sure. And what happens, like how often are you paying out? You said the payment's going out every quarter, monthly? Yeah, we pay out every month. OK, every month. I'm sorry if I missed that. So you pay out every month uh, and you're getting a statement of uh, and I guess if you're rolling it in, you could just take your your distribution and put it back in. And you guys yeah. lend it back out at seamless. Uh, and then typically, like, you know, you see like a, a call period maybe at the end of the year or 30 days. Uh, but how are you documenting kind of like a open ended? Is it are you advertising a non liquid um you know, type of fund where, you know, you need a little bit more time or how, how are you kind of documenting, I need some time to get you back the money, yeah. uh, but with with an open-ended timeline on that.
1: Yeah, so the, the attorneys are great at this, right, Nick? But the way, they, the way they structured this in the offering documents is after 30 days, you could request your money back at any time. So they had to put something in there. So we did, We said one month, hold it in there okay. for a month. After that, you can request the money back and then we will get the money back to you within 90 days. And then this is the little catch that they put in there, assuming we have the money available to do it, right? So if there's a giant run, like you would see, with, like we saw with the uh, SVB, then we could halt redemptions, right? And keep everybody safe. We're not forced to return it, but we've never had an issue like that. And we typically will get it back within 30-ish days, but the documents say 90.
0: Okay. And your typical investor is staying how long with you?
1: I still have I still have investors my very first investor still works with me. So okay. I don't know how how to answer that as far as an average because we continually get new investors, sure. uh, but I still have the very first very first investor still with me.
0: Okay. And this fund structure is typically investing into or loaning out on how many different assets at a time? Is it 10, 20, 30, um, 100?
1: Yeah, so I'd have to look at the pull the details on this specific fund, but in the whole portfolio, I, I explain how we're structured with the four funds and the individual investors. Also, we have about one hundred and thirty million um, in loans, and I think it's a hundred and thirty ish. That's interesting how that works. Uh, loans out, so we have about one hundred thirty million, about one hundred thirty loans under management.
0: Okay, so it's and fairly diversified. I'm Assuming then, one of the best things about funds is that if one of those loans is sucking wind, not paying, you're gonna have to take over the property, whatever it might be that's just not going well. Yeah, the other ones kind of carry the day, and that's right. They won't even notice uh, the investors won't even notice the issues.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, sometimes they go bad, right? Our default rates floating around two percent, so we do have some um, that are in foreclosure process, we have a couple that are through the foreclosure process, we're, we're getting ready to put on the market. So there's, yeah, there's some that aren't aren't performing right now.
0: Okay. And, you know, I think that's normal with every type of market. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially now. And it, it sounds like because you're capping the loan, I think you said 70% loan to value. Yes. Then you're never really in trouble if you need to get this off the the books and fire sale it. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, ugh, never. That's a tough one to, to answer. Well, like never. That, but
0: you're, you you positioned yourself in a way that if it if it does go bad, the losses are likely going to be a lot smaller than if you were to be all, all the way up to that hundred yeah. percent. And yeah, I think that's where people were getting in trouble.
1: That's great. Nick. That's I would I would agree with that. It's it's rare for us to take a loss on a specific loan. I don't know how we would. I can't say we won't, but I don't know how we would for an investor because there's so many, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't take losses typically. So,
0: okay. Well, on your investment management side, I'm sure with that much money on the streets, you have a full team behind you and they're, uh, you know, taking questions and answering the phones and whatnot. Uh, yep. Give us an idea what what uh, Pine Financials structured like.
1: Yeah, so let's peel back the curtain here a little bit. We um we have 13 people. Um, we have two uh, remote, one in Minnesota on, on the ground out there, and we have one in Texas that kind of handles a lot of our back end stuff. So she's she's amazing. She's my very first employee. Um, I started the company in 2008, hired her in January 2009, and she's still she's still plugging along. She's fantastic. Um, and then we have the, the typical structure, right? We have a, a leadership team, and then we have the administration. So that consists of processing and servicing, and uh, we have marketing, and then we have a, a sales team.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's the folks you need to keep that shit moving forward. Yeah. Uh, anything else that we should know about on that, on the investment side?
1: I mean, if you want um, anything else you should know on that, I'm happy to send out information if you want to put in the show notes or something. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but no, yeah, It's very, it's pretty, yeah. pretty a simple. It's a simple business, right? We bring money in from private investors and pay percent. We loan it out at 12%. So that's, it's not not too complicated, um, but there's definitely I can get more information out if anyone was interested,
0: okay. Well, yeah, I appreciate you kind of you know going on both sides of that equation and, and kind of giving us an understanding of what you're doing on a day to day basis. Uh, and now, I kind of want to I want to pivot to what we're doing in the market like as a on a macro basis. I mean, how has the the change in interest rates, the inflation? how how has that impacted you guys? Have you had to, uh, extend additional money to to folks because they ran over on construction budgets. Have you had more defaults? You know, okay. is there something that we we don't know about and kind of where are we headed in this in this whole craziness that we're watching? Yeah, so
1: I'll answer first with um, how we're impacted, and then I'll try to help you with the, where we're going. Um, obviously, obviously, this is very challenging for all of us. We haven't seen something like this, but as far as us, interest rates going up is actually healthy for us um, for a couple of reasons. One it, it thins the herd. So a lot of our competition is heavily reliant capital markets. So as their cost of capital increases, the rates have to increase to keep the spread, they become very much less attractive to borrowers. We're steady eddy, right? So we, we, we haven't raised our rates at all. In fact, we're trying to figure out how to get our rates down. Um, so it's very different. And, and we're able to capture a larger market share because of that. And also with the tightening of credit. So banks are saying, no, I had a deal up in Chicago. We do our, I didn't say this, but our commercial stuff, we will go nationwide um, just because it's a little higher quality borrower and higher Mm -hmm. quality deals. Um, So we had an office complex in Chicago. I got a call and he says, I need to close this deal within three weeks. My bank just called me and told me they no longer have an appetite for office. So they had the term sheet signed. They had the appraisal, the environment. They had everything, and then all of a sudden, the bank says, "Yep, eh, sorry, I'm changing our mind." Um, so that's a good. I mean, that's a perfect example of how a company like mine benefits from the current environment.
0: Oh, certainly. I mean, those are those are never fun called. I don't think for the the loan officers uh, who are putting the deals together either. Oh. Uh, and sometimes it's you know boards that are many layers above uh, you know making decisions for the bank, but if they don't have the liquidity anymore, and they have a major investor, uh, maybe it's BlackRock or something, you know, a big, yeah. a big funding partner not comes through, uh, then they're really going to change their appetite. We're definitely hearing that. Uh, I know that a lot of banks are offering much higher savings, uh, or excuse me, uh, savings account, interest payments, you know, four or 5%. Now, just to keep some of that money at their, at their banks, because they got to keep their uh, you know, loan loan ratios and balance uh, with with the money at the at the bank. And I, I've noticed that uh, you know, I think some sponsors are going to get jammed up uh, because they're with a bank that might not have that, that was historically more flexible, but now is very rigid. And I could see that being uh, probably good for your business, yeah, it's
1: fantastic, yeah. and the way you describe that is so perfect because we're seeing the flight to quality now, right? You have these banks going out of business or getting purchased. I mean, Credit Suisse is is not the best example because they're a gigantic bank, but you have SVB and Signature and these other ones. Um, People are nervous, right? Am I going to, is my deposit even safe? And we know the FDIC's insurance is less than 2% of what's needed. So is my deposit really even safe? No one really knows the answer to that, but they feel a hell of a lot safer in Wells Fargo than they do in your local bank down the street, right? So we're seeing money come out of the local and regionals and into the big boys. It's all created by the government. It's what the, exactly what they say they don't want, the too big to fail, and all of these things. But that's that's what we're seeing. So I know I'm going on a little rant here, and I probably shouldn't have done that, but yeah. <laughs> the point that you made is I absolutely agree with. As these smaller banks lose their deposits because of the fear of quality, then they have to they have to start saying no to the loans.
0: Yeah, it it's a definitely an interesting world. I mean, I don't think most investors uh, would have thought that the interest rates would have had to go up this fast. Uh, I mean, historically, they have had to raise interest rates to combat inflation. And I think sure. uh, there are certainly folks out there who, who might've been able to get this right. And they kind of knew it was coming. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of folks are not in the position where they can just sit on the sidelines. I mean, you know, you're, you look at some of the the really large folks in the world, the uh, you know, the Sam Zells and the, uh, you know, these massive, you know, funds that have decades and decades of of runway and a ton of liquidity, they can actually afford to sit on the sidelines, raise a fund and and swoop in here when people are in trouble. But for those smaller operators and smaller is relative. I mean, you might have a couple billion under under management and still be considered small in the real estate world. Isn't that crazy? Uh, Yeah. Uh, And those folks can't really sit on the sidelines because there's staff to pay and they have to keep doing deals. And I, I think it's really unfortunate. The environment is not stable, and I know the Fed talks about getting us back to pricing stability, and and it's good for uh, you know the people at the at the lower income range. But I honestly think it's all just to protect uh, you know their interest, and you know it, it's unfortunately been kind of self made in their in their own way of of uh, kind of printing so much money, and it's it's a shame that we're we're seeing it play out this way. Uh, at least in my opinion. All of that said, where are we headed in the next six months? Do you think the Fed's going to pivot? Do you think the Fed has to uh, stay the, stay the course, and we have to get inflation under um, control? And just to hell with what happens in the bond markets and, and banks. You know, at some point, are we just you know flirting with a really big crash landing? You know, what what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, and I'm dying to know if you're willing to share what you think. But gosh, just such a tough conversation. They, they, you you look at what what's complicated about what we're experiencing right now. Um, you mentioned stagflation before you, you hit the record button, but you you think about unemployment okay, and the relationship between that and inflation. And typically, you see higher. Uh, you would see you wouldn't see as low of unemployment as we have now with high inflation. Usually, it's going the opposite way. But so, what's causing that? I have some theories, like maybe the amount of people retiring, the baby boomers that are retiring, it's a massive amount every single day leaving the workforce. So that maybe it's artificially leaving unemployment low. I I don't know. But um, I think we're we're seeing, what's interesting is we're seeing inflation come down and unemployment stay pretty level. Um, You don't typically see that. So I think what the Fed is doing is absolutely working. Do I agree with the aggressiveness of it? Absolutely not. They should have started raising rates, I believe when the real estate market could handle it. Like it was, we're hitting 20, 30% uh, price appreciation and we're low record, low interest rates. That's the time to start slowing it down. They waited too long. Now they're trying to correct get to where they actually should be. Um, And like a long answer here again, but we are seeing inflation come down. It's come down significantly from nine to six, right? And we're, I would expect that to continue because it takes six to nine months for an interest rate hike to actually work its way through the market and then finally hit the data because the data is a little bit behind also. So we're, we're going to see a continued decrease in inflation. And I don't know what the hell is going to happen with unemployment. I mean, this thing is, that's bizarre. Uh, but if, we're see, if we see that continue, then if we see inflation continue to fall, then we're going to see the interest rates start to loosen up. Um, we've already seen it, right? Because of the bank failures, we've already seen what was going to be 50 bips down to 25. Um, I would be surprised if by the end of this year, there's no more increases. And then early next year-ish, we'll start to see that soften, I, I think. Especially if you see more bank trouble.
0: Yeah, especially if we see more bank trouble. I, I hope that the the bond market can also play as a uh, inflation uh, you know, kind of a deflationary uh, tactic to the market. It, it'll be interesting to see if it if it slows it down. I think it will because what what I what I think is going to happen is the banks are going to slow down on their lending even more than they were before. Some were already on the sidelines. Some will join them on the sidelines, and some will just get really strict with who they're who they're borrowing yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, obviously, most new projects—not most, but I guess yeah—I I guess you could say most new construction projects out there are going to face a a big uphill climb uh, as far as trying to make it pencil because those interest rates are just not going to make sense anymore. If you're doing, you know, let's say, you're trying to build a, a $100 million building, you might have been putting into an escrow account, what, maybe $3, 4000000 million to build that project originally. Now that's probably more in like the $10 million yeah, range. probably. And the banks are probably going to force you to do a 10, 12, maybe 15% contingency on that project. All of a sudden, those things are really starting to make those deals not pencil, not to mention the the rates are not, or the um, the, the rental rates are not continuing to climb as fast as uh, as they used to. So now you've got your appraisers who are getting a little nervous. They don't want to repeat 2008. Um, and as far as that unemployment rate goes, it, it has been sticky. I mean, it, it's not really been, it's not it's weird, too right? much, but when you saw a ton of people leave the workforce in 2020... I think that some of those folks are actually starting to realize they have to go back to work. Yeah, uh, And so maybe some of the damage is being recovered by new people entering the market. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how this is all going to play out, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, the goodies are are unable to continue to come forever. I mean, free rental assistance uh, for, I mean, years, um, people are slowly but surely getting evicted out of some of those cities uh, that have eviction moratoriums and they need to go back to work. And, all of those different things will play into, you know, kind of, hopefully bringing inflation back down. But I, I am concerned that it gets, um, like again, I hate to use this word again, but I, I hope it doesn't get sticky in that four or five, um, you know, percent range, yeah. and, and then the Fed has to really ratchet it up. Uh, but right now, we're we're sitting in a pretty interesting time, and I think most people are. Uh, you know, eager to to get back into the market, and the, well, uh, talk about the stock market. They're eager to get back to investing and seeing returns that are they're that positive. And I think that's kind of where real estate is is well positioned to take all of this because you have a real asset that's going to appreciate in value, especially if you're doing a value add. You have regular cash flow to help offset these, you know, these time periods. And it's just one of these periods where it's just like sit down, enjoy the ride. Investing is a long term journey, and, and we're all going to get there on the other side as long as People don't panic and 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 you know, hopefully more banks don't implode, but we'll see. Um yeah, I'm yeah, curious
1: what you what you're seeing with the cap rates. Like you, said, you used the word sticky a couple of times there, speaking on inflation, but what and, and unemployment. But what I'm um what I'm wondering about is how is why is cap rates so sticky?
0: You well you
1: see the, those have to increase us sometimes. So I they yeah. I feel like they're artificially low, but I don't know why that either.
0: You know, I think they're artificially, I don't know if they're artificially low in the residential sector, uh, meaning like single family houses and whatnot, because there's still such a high demand for that product. And I'm not sure we've reached the point completely yet where people can't afford some of those new homes because you're still seeing people borrow on long-term debt and still get into homes. uh, Not nearly as many as last year. I mean, it's cut, what, nearly in half. But I think on the institutional side, some of those center city, Assets you are seeing the cap rate already increase as some of these debt maturities are coming through this year. Uh, Blackstone just put two hundred and thirty-two million into uh, loan servicing, so these are these are definitely assets that need to be purchased, and likely they're going to come off of them at a much better cap rate. That'll help reset some of the center city stuff, and I think once you see what and you got a a mentor of mine kind of talked about how the institutions are what you need to watch. The institutions are having trouble with their center city core A plus assets. And that that starts to trickle and they're not really investing right now in new in new deals. I mean not at a not at the clip they used to uh, and if they slow down, then there's an opportunity actually to buy some really quality assets uh, at, a, at a discounted rate and they will likely be back to purchase them uh, in in the future as they need to put money back on the street because they can sit for a while, but eventually they do need to move their their capital as well. And I think that's going to all take time to unfold over the next second half of this year and as the institutions maybe in the early part of 2024 start to put more money on the street i think that's going to trickle back down into the uh the tertiary markets or the surrounding suburbs of, of the different um you know markets across the country yeah but how Again, long does
1: that take so you're just you're talking about yeah the, the cap rates i fit i feel like they're sticky i do see them starting to go up too but I, they have to because interest rates go up and and and, and... I, I tell I tell my clients a lot. You know, like we see successful commercial developers and successful commercial real estate investors underwriting with like maybe a stress test of a, a percent or higher on the cap rate. Well, from what it comps at right now, with the anticipation that it's going to go up, right? I'm tra- I'm sure you're probably doing the same thing. I think banks are as well. I mean, if if a apartment building would sell in inner city at a four cap, let's say, um, which is I don't know how anyone makes money at that, but that's it's got to go up eventually, right? But we're still seeing those trade in the fours. I guess that's my point. So I think even the lower,
0: opportunities even lower. Sometimes I mean, that's you know, that's before this, I mean, we were seeing some breaking the twos. I mean, it's uh, that's it's unheard of return uh, in the real estate world. I do agree that they they need to trend back up, but I'm not so sure that the free money's over. I mean, the the politicians will likely press the printing machine again because it. It's easier. It's easier than causing pain. It gets them reelected. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, kind of the default. Never waste a crisis for DC. You know, they're they're gonna they're gonna take as much money and print it and give it to themselves as much as possible. Um, and some of it rains out into the markets. And unfortunately, what happens is you kind of reset asset values at much higher rates. I'm I'm not sure we're gonna see a huge uh, retrench. You know, i don't think we're going to see like a big retreat on on values maybe a little bit but I, I don't think it's going to be 2008 armageddon stuff oh, i gosh, no. i just There's don't see so any of that, for that. yeah uh,
1: but you you are seeing especially in the office asset class you're starting to see p- people turn those over to banks especially on that non recourse stuff so yeah. it's already starting
0: what um, would be good for this story or, or the you know the cap rates is the sellers who are now having to do be- debt maturities where they're just frustrated with a property because they have gone through the whole COVID process. They don't have evictions They're you know, they, they haven't had evictions processed or whatever. They're, they're just getting to the point where they're just like, all right, we're done. And these are in the non-recourse realm. A lot of these folks and, and the banks are quickly going to turn those, uh, you know, back off their, their balance sheets, I'm sure. But uh, I, I do think this year, you're going to see a lot of loan maturities. And fact, it's, I wrote this down. Let me
1: see if I can find my notes real quick. Since we're we're right here, uh, it's like almost 300 billion in 2023. 200, 269 billion dollars in 2023 commercial real estate
0: maturities term terminal. That's what I'm talking about. That's, That's
1: staggering. Kind
0: of, we we've got three quarters left. All of that money is going to be addressed either whether it's going to go back to the bank whether it's going to get refinanced you might be seeing uh you know more money going into those those deals because you got to rebalance your loan uh you know because the bank might say your you know $1 million property is now worth 900,000 and we're going to give you a loan to value of only 70% That's 65% right. whatever it is and originally you had counted on that being based on a $1 million dollar loan and all of a sudden you're short and you got to get that Back in structure, and it's not just going to be a million dollar one. It's going to be these hundred million dollar, yeah, uh, big big loans uh, that are that are, I think is going to really put pressure on the Fed to pivot because they're they're going to want to see that uh, some of this longer term debt is is uh, is able to get this commercial real estate refinanced and uh, more on uh, you know more on sure footing because who knows what happens if uh, interest rates continue to go up. And I mean, if you, if you continue to go this path, I mean, let's say it's two or three more percent up. I mean, at what percent or at what, yeah. At what interest rate is that just people just say, okay, well, I, I'm not coming up with that additional money. You can just yeah, it back. I'm out. Yeah. And yeah, you're going to okay. see that for sure. And yeah, banks, yeah, that's going to happen now. As much as they
1: good. want to work these loans through, they can't. And you know, this probably just as, as well as I do, they the regulators won't let them renew these loans, right? They, their asset class, their asset allocation is out of whack. They can't have DSCR loans at point like eight at a point eight. You know it has to be at one two or one three or whatever the the ratio is, and they're at point seven point eight right now because the interest rates went up so high. And so they just don't qualify. They, I know this is what you just said, but I'm just reiterating. Like, there's a lot of problems here, which is going to force cap rates up. I guess that's my point.
0: Yeah, I think you're right that those are they're going to go up. I think interest rates are you're going to have to see the pressure on the interest rates come back down. Uh, and along the way, I think there's going to be some carnage and potentially that unemployment rate's going to go up. I mean, it is. I mean, Chairman Powell literally says on his in his like monthly speech. Well, not monthly, but it seems like they're monthly that they're raising the interest like, rates. But every yeah. time he's talking, he talks about the unemployment rate and how they want to drive it up. He says it yep. in front of Congress. There's no secret that they're trying to make people, uh, you know, kind of get get laid off. and that. Uh, you know, obviously doesn't doesn't help, Uh, you know, businesses grow and everything. But I think it's just kind of one of these, you know, kind of keep keep the businesses lights on, you know, kind of batten down the hatches and get through. Likely, most people don't want to hear this likely till 2025. I mean, it's it's going to be a little bit of a long road, I think.
1: I think that's possible, except for you have an election year next year. So we'll see how that impacts things.
0: I could if I never had to hear one more presidential election, I'm sure there's many people who would agree with this it's just, it's just noise. It, it's just, uh, it, it, yeah, it doesn't, I don't know. I think that's why, that's why the stock market really is frustrating to me is, you know, you can have these, um, you know, press releases that can hurt a stock based on no, uh, you know, real backing based on what the company is actually doing. And I think there's going to be some amazing buys. Um, you know, I think for people, if they can get in and pick the right companies and actually know what they're doing, not guessing and actually know what they're looking at and, and have a good investment thesis for going forward. And I think the stock market could be good for folks, but uh, you know, I think real estate it always comes back to me. It's like, I, I want to know who's who's operating the the real estate and um, make sure they have skin in the game. And, and that's, that's kind of why I bring it back, especially on the tax side, you know, right now, uh, yeah. depreciation is such an important piece. Uh, you know, when you're trying to keep the money, it doesn't matter how much you make, got to keep it as well. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I could talk for hours on on where we're going, um, but we're all guessing. And oh, I think it's just important to go back to the fundamentals. Make sure you're buying good products and good markets with good people that are doing a value add approach, right. and make sure there's as much cash flow as possible and uh, good liquidity on the other side. You know, keep it in the bank. Uh, you know, make sure your your sponsorship team is is in a in a good position to carry it through, um, even if they have to. Raise additional capital. That's going to happen uh, for even good groups. I mean, look at Blackstone. They're, they're, that's some of the best in the bit. You know, these are the best right. in the business. Having trouble, um, and, and you just got to got to hang on and keep it uh, because if you turn it back, uh, that's that you're just literally losing the money, and that that's not acceptable in my opinion. So, um,
1: yeah, Kevin, I agree. I that's why I stick to real estate. Also, same reason. Yeah. same reasons. I don't understand the stock market. I'm competing with way too many people that are way smarter.
0: Real estate, yeah, well, and, local, I can be- get my arms around it you're competing with what's already been going on is artificial intelligence in the stock market oh, and gosh, you're dealing yeah. with uh, trading at the nanosecond and you know it's like, all these little things Is like you know, clearly yeah, the little guy makes... is at a disadvantage yeah. um, but if folks want to invest with you or want to learn more about your company where can they find you and if they had more questions about what we're talking about uh, is there is there a website or something that i can point them to
1: yeah, for sure. So the I want to mention this. The, the website, thepinereport.com. Thepinereport.com is a great place because there's two reports totally free. One of them is about private note investing and how to stay safe. So I get calls occasionally from people like, I've just I invested in a junior position and now the senior's foreclosing. I don't have enough money to to protect my, my investment. Is there anything you could do? I get those calls quite a bit. So it's like, walking them through how to get out of the situation they're already in. But gosh, it'd be a whole lot easier if they never got into the situation. So I try to help people by, I wrote a report about that. So that's totally free. And then the other one is, we talked about the economy today, Nick, and and we talked about how uh, it does not resemble 2008, which I 100% agree with. What it does resemble a little bit is 1990, early 90s. After the savings and loan crashes when interest rates were through the roof and they were inflation was to the roof and so they started raising rates and so that I think it's more uh, resembles that recession. So I wrote a report comparing what we're going through right now compared to that recession. And that report's on there as well. so the pine com otherwise me, I'm at pinefinancialgroup.com
0: Well, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the hard money business. It's, it's certainly here to stay uh, the folks who, are in it are all not created equal. Uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, I think it's really nice to see that you guys are likely a very highly reputable above board operator. Uh, and you you some of that some of that uh, I guess weaving of the industry will probably be good during during this yeah. downturn, uh, just yeah. like any other industry. Um, but I certainly appreciate your your insight and hopefully we'll catch up with you soon on the other side of this recession and see how you guys made it out.
1: Yeah, you too. I really appreciate you having me on, Nick.